Again, we have Jesus being mocked. And by the way, Matthew does a very fine job in, uh, in, in illustrating how much Jesus was mocked. In fact, I, I could have filled this whole slide with examples just in, that Matthew gave in Jesus being mocked. It seems like the mocked part was probably the biggest part of the you know, content that Matthew was able to... I mean, when it comes to actually being crucified... In comparison, he just basically said, oh, yeah, by the way, he was crucified. He just made it just kind of almost like, yeah, yeah, he was crucified, by the way, P.S. But the mocked part, he really, and I didn't really feel like I did justice in, 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 in drawing out how much Matthew really did. You know, I guess the idea is because many commentators look at Matthew as being like the guy who wanted to, to um, draw out the, the, the royalty, the kingship. Of Jesus, and so if you're trying to do that, the idea of being mocked, you know, what I'm saying that's like you don't mock the king. You don't. And the thing is, and it's all about attacks upon Jesus and his his messiahship, specifically that the king of the Jews, you know, and then the crown, you know, it's a, it's a royal thing. The, the 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 robes, the purple robes, you know, that's a, that's again, that's, those are all attacks upon his royalty. And that, I think, I think Matthew wanted to draw that out. You know, it's like, here he is. You know, he is the Messiah, the King of the Jews. And he's being mocked for that very thing that he actually is. So, uh, again, mocked. And we have some verses there that talk about that. They stripped him, put scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns, thorns and sit on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him, and they took a staff and struck him on the head again and again. And this is the beginning of the mocking. In fact, it already began before with, um, with um, even with, um, with Herod and before him even with uh, the Sanhedrin. So this is just a continuation of this kind of mocking and, and the scourging and the abuse and the beatings. And, and, he, and he's even mocked on the cross, if you guys remember. I mean, the thieves mocked him. And then one repented. We talked about that last week. He was and people were literally looking at him and saying, oh, you know, he saved many, but he can't save himself. And then, of course, there was also when he started crying out, they said, oh, he's asking for Elijah. Well, don't give him anything to relieve his pain. Let's see if Elijah comes and rescues. So there's a continuous thread of mocking and mocking and mocking. And then finally, he's crucified. And Matthew just says it. Well, by the way, then he was crucified. And this is kind of, this is me trying to find details of the crucifixion, but it's straightforward. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means a place of the skull. And when they had crucified him, that's all it really says. And then they crucified him. And he divided his clothes by casting lots. That's it. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up the spirit. He was dead. He died. And, and, and I think these are important elements of our faith. We, 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 when we talk about Jesus, I would hope as a group we believe that we're talking about a man who actually exists. An historical, literal person named Jesus who was born in, in, in Nazareth. 
He was, you know, the son of, of Mary the Virgin, you know, the son of God. And when we're talking about this, we're not talking about just a legend or story, but we're talking about an actual person. And the reason why it's important is because this is who we put our lives, our faith, our very lives are rested in the hands of this man and what he's done for us. And so, again, it's not just enough, I think, to put our trust in a story and a legend, but actual real event, a real physical phenomenon. And so he was mocked, he was crucified, so he died on the cross. Again, there's many who might, um, you know, doubt whether or not he was really dead on the cross. And there are a lot of theories, conspiracy theories, and, you know, about how Jesus didn't really die on the cross, but he moved on. But the thing is, it's very important for us as Christians to, to recognize that that what these writers did, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, is they did a very important historical documentation of events that happened that day. And they all have various perspectives. And we give them room. And we even looked, remember last week we looked at different perspectives from Luke and different John even. Because the thing is, they have different perspectives of, of the same event. Regardless, these events are important. However you look at them, wherever you happen to be standing at that time, you know, that's fine. You know, it's okay to have a little bit of variation. But the reality is, Jesus was on the cross, and Jesus did die. Okay? And these details that we look at here, and we're going to take a look at here, are very specific. Even looking at the eyewitness accounts, we're going to look at that. And then we're going to answer the very end why these things are important. Okay? But I want you to get in your head how, pretend like you're there and you're seeing these things as if they were happening in the streets before you. Okay? Because that's how it's supposed to be taken. These writers, like, again, Matthew, which we're looking at today, and then the others, like Luke and John and Mark, or, or their take on other people's firsthand experience, you know what I'm saying? Their take on what's going on, either, either they themselves were firsthand observers or witnesses, or they were documenting firsthand, so they were secondhand. So it's reliable bits of information that we see here. This is proper journalism, if you will. Dead. When he died, he gave out, you know, again, he cried out with a loud voice, and he gave up his spirit. He actually died. We, always we talked about last week how, you know, Jesus said even before, he's like, you know, no man can take my life, but I give it freely. And so, you know, I don't want to repreach last week's sermon. I just want to kind of get us in, into that thought, frame of thought again. So the next slide, we have Jesus then dead, but the funny thing, the amazing thing about Jesus, he might be dead, but he's not silent. He's not unarmed. He's not even crippled. You can't stop Jesus. Because you see, Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. So yeah, he died, okay? He very much so was dead. And when you think about a person who dies, they don't do anything anymore, right? But Jesus is still doing things. And this actually is the beginning of our hope. Even though we're dead, we're not done. Jesus was dead. Jesus was not done. Matthew 27, 52, 56 says this. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. What a statement. These Sanhedrin guys, they were like, we don't want this Jesus around. He's, he's a pain. Talking about the ultimate pain. The Jesus, the word, the son of God who, you know, with God, his very word created the heavens and the earth. With his death, that temple curtain, that most important, valuable thing for the Sanhedrin, the people who hated Jesus, ripped. Why did it rip? Because there's no need for it no more. It's done. There's no need for that temple. There's no need for that curtain that divided. What did that curtain do? 
You guys know what the curtain did? It, it divided the people from God, the Holy of Holies. And only one special person of the whole world can go into it. Only once a year. And, and he had to be very careful about how they entered it or else they would die. But don't need it no more. Don't need that curtain. Don't need that priest, to, that great high priest, to, or that high priest. Jesus is the great high priest. But we didn't need that priest to go in and say, oh, I, by the way, God, you know, your people out there want to say sorry for their sin. You know, they don't need that no more. Now people like you and like me can walk right up to God and say, God, I need to talk to you. Don't tell me that's not exciting news. So symbolic, yes. Powerful, indeed. Real, absolutely. That curtain was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rock split. Yes, the, the, that author, the, the one who created the heavens and the earth, died that day of physical death. And you better believe creation was shaken. The power of God was all over Jesus. And when he died, it was dynamic. Rock split. The, the, it gets even crazier. Bear with me. Okay. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out to the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city at Jerusalem and appeared to many people. Wait a second, I know you from somewhere. Imagine that. Whoa, that's crazy. But that's the power. And this is just a foreshadowing of the resurrection that we all have to look forward to. When Jesus died, death did not win. When Jesus died, death was conquered. And here's proof of that. Oh, wait, is that Auntie Sue coming up for a cup of tea? I thought you died a couple years ago. I guess so. Let's have some tea. You know what I mean? Crazy, crazy things going on here. Now, again, it's unclear, though, however, whether these were raised like in a temporary sense. Like, how, remember how Jesus raised Lazarus, but then he died again in the future? It's, it, it, commentators are, aren't very sure about this because the scriptures aren't very clear about the nature of this resurrection, whether it was a temporary thing or if this was, these were actually raised in glorified bodies. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to look at that later on today. So just think about those two possibilities. But anyways, the centurion then, you know, the, the, the Roman guard that was on standby there, who was, you know, in charge of this, this, this crucifixion. And those there who were with them, guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that happened and were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was God. So this, these things that were happening, they weren't just a little tremor like, oh, what a coinky dinky. This man died during a tremor. No, it wasn't a coinky dinky. This was mind-boggling. It's like when he died, the world shook. He, crazy, out of the ordinary phenomenon that were happening before them, such that these brave soldiers were like, something's up here. And they were terrified. And they're shouting, this guy was who he said he was. We did something wrong today. No, you did something right, because he needed to die. And that, that curtain needed to be rent from top to bottom. So yeah, it's, it was a scary thing. It's a terrifying thing. But it's a wonderful thing. Many women were there watching from a distance. Now, we're going to be introduced to these women, these, 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 these crazy women. I call them crazy women because what are they doing? Where are the guys at? They're all running around like chickens with their head chopped off, being silly. Oh! But these women are strong, and I like that. They were there. They are with Jesus. They remain with Jesus, and they're important eyewitnesses. And we're going to talk about that in a moment because at that time, women weren't, sorry guys or gals, women weren't credible witnesses. At that time, they wouldn't take a woman into court a lot for eyewitness. They wouldn't. That's the culture back then. But God has no problem with it. 
God has absolutely no problem with women eyewitnesses. And he chose these Marys. And there must have been about 300 Marys saying bye, by the way. I mean, when I was growing up, I thought all these Marys were Jesus' mom. But actually, Jesus' mom's barely mentioned in this list. She was there, but there was other Marys involved. But So there's like 300 Marys here that God used to, to, to be proper eyewitnesses of what actually did happen. And I think it's God, because if you're going to make a conspiracy about it, you're going to get some the old boys to come and lie. Because you see, men, that was, some, that, you know what I'm saying? The, 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 the witness of a man would have been credible in the court of laws back then, right? We've seen it, so therefore you have to take our word for it. But, but, but God said, you know what, I'm going to do something a bit different. Because I think this will speak into the 21st century. You know what I'm saying? For those, 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 those skeptics and those doubters in the 21st century that will come, they need something stronger. So instead of using men, which is the predictable thing to do, I'm going to use these lovely ladies who, to, 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 to see, to witness. And they're going to, they're going to make note of what they've seen. And, and you know why? Because they are credible witnesses. And that's what we see basically going on from this point on. These women who are watching from a short distance. And they followed Jesus from Galilee, so they knew him very well. They cared for him, so they know that's Jesus. We were with him all the time, so we're identifying the body. That's Jesus. We know him very well. We've been with him for a long time. We care for him directly. So yes, we can identify him. That's Jesus. And among these women, and they're named because it's important to name them because were they really with Jesus? Yes, they were. Some of them, and here's the list. You have Mary Magdalene. Then Mary also, the mother of James and Joseph. And you also have the mother of the Zebedee sons. You know the Zebedees, you know, that's John and James. The ones who are really, really close. So people who are really, really close to Jesus, watching these things unfold. One of which, very importantly, is his death. Next slide, please. And then also another very important event is him buried. Again, the accusations we made here soon is that the disciples will come and steal his body to pretend, to fake the resurrection. Okay? So it's important that he was buried properly because of the resurrection in, in our certain knowledge that the resurrection was a real, actual event. So he had to be buried properly. And we had to see him go into that tomb. And we had to see that tomb being covered. And we have to see the tomb be guarded. And we have to see the tomb be sealed. We have to see these things in order to be confident that when the tomb was discovered empty, that he was actually risen. And it wasn't, his body was stolen by a chancer. So moving on, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. This fellow is interesting. In Luke, he describes him again in Luke. This is the same fellow, this, this man, Joseph, from Arimathea. Look at him from Luke's perspective. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council. Yes, he was one of the Sanhedrin, one of those guys, you know, who, who plotted against Jesus. Was he repentant? Was he a, I mean, th- before, I mean, I'm, I'm speculating here, I understand that, but imagine he was a part of that group who, who sentenced Jesus falsely, who decided beforehand that he was, must die for, the, you know, for, for many. <clears throat> Sometimes when we look at people, we think, oh, I know him, he's with that group. Or I know her, she's with that group. So they're bad. We can't, we can't, but this person, either he repented or he was a disciple and he disagreed with their judgment. Regardless, he's from that group. But yet he was also counted as a disciple of Christ. Interesting thought, isn't it? Who was a member of that council, the, the Sanhedrin, a good and upright man who had not consented. So there we go, very clear. He did not agree with the decision to, 
kill Jesus, to blame him falsely. <coughs> Sorry. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. What a beautiful thing. He himself, so he was there, Sanhedrin, with probably good intentions at some point, where he's like, hey, you know what? I'm waiting for the kingdom of God. I'm waiting for the Messiah. Is this the Messiah? And all of his little buddies, no, 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 no. We're not having none of that. Well, here he is. He made a bold statement. He stepped out of that group and stepped towards Jesus and gave him a tomb, gave, him a, gave his body a home to rest in. Bold statement, this is indeed. So going to Pilate, this Joseph fella, he asked for Jesus' body and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Now, when he went to Pilate, Mark had some information. Pilate was like, wait, he's already dead? That's quite a quick. And that's what it says in Mark 15, 44. It says that Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him, is, is Jesus, has he already died? And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave it by Joseph. Again, it was the responsibility of, of, of this um, guard, the centurion, it was his responsibility to ensure that, that these men were dead. That, this is the significance behind this. Pilate's job is to make sure that the centurion is doing his job, right? The centurion guard, he was a man of death. He, made, he, he knew what death looked like. He was very good at executing his job. So when Pilate gave the body, he had to make sure that body was indeed dead. So who does he go to? He goes to the expert of killing, the centurion guard. Is Jesus dead? And the reason why I'm saying this is it's important to know that our Jesus, our beloved Messiah, the one who we worship and sing songs to and give our lives to, he died. He didn't just escape death. He wasn't a Houdini Messiah. He was a submissive lamb who submitted to the cross and died, okay? So he took this body, this dead body, wrapped it in clean linen, and placed it in his open new tomb. So new, so there's no other bodies in it at this time, because it's brand new. In a tomb, you can have a family, right? But Jesus was the first one to be laid in this tomb by himself. He placed it in a new tomb, and he had cut out the rock. He rolled a big stone, which is common, again, you cover the cover the, the tomb, cover the big stone in front of the entrance, and he went away. Again, eyewitnesses are, are, are and this is I think Matthew is being very clever in putting these eyewitnesses. Again, who saw this happen? Mary. Again, the one who saw him dead, who knew him very very closely, saw it, followed it. That's the same body that I know as Jesus going in that tomb, Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary. And they were sitting, watching everything. Next slide. So again, these unlikely eyewitnesses, just to kind of cap it up really quick before we move on. Christ's death, where you see Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, the mother of the sons Zebedee, and there's others as well. Likely including Christ's own mother and sister. John made mention of them, okay? Now his burial. And we have Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, okay? Now later on we're going to see these same people again testifying, being a witness to these very important events. Because later on, uh, we, well, we're going to see Jesus' disappearance, or we really know it's his resurrection. He's gone. How can we explain this? He was resurrected. And then also he comes and he proves it by actually showing people his resurrected body. The witnesses at that point was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and this other lady named Salome, or Salome, Solomon, whatever you call her, Salomoe. Okay, they come. So Salome, her name is Salome. So they come, and they come to prepare, you know, to, 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 to finish the preparation. They were cut midstream of the burial preparation because of the Sabbath. So they had to come after the Sabbath to do it. And that's when he, well, we'll see when we get there. Okay, so these really unlikely eyewitnesses. 
a whole lot of Mary. The grave itself was, and this is important as well, the grave itself was very, very highly guarded, very highly protected. And, and the story goes like this as we continue on through Matthew 27, starting in verse 62. The next day, the, the one after the preparation day, okay, it's, so this is, the preparation is part of this, the celebration time uh, before, you know, this resurrection, obviously. The chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. So this is during the preparation time, okay? So again, you know, all this has happened very rapidly, very quickly. And they say to Pilate, Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, it's interesting they call him the deceiver, because they themselves are the ones who are deceived, but anyways, the deceiver, this Jesus, he said, after three days I will rise again. Now, the first thing that comes to my attention when I see this is this. Why are these people remembering Christ's word when the disciples couldn't remember Christ's words? They're walking around, huh? But Jesus was with them, teaching them. Did they not learn a thing? How many times did he had to remind them, but it's okay because the third day I'll rise again? What's up with that? Why is it these unbelievers remember the words very specifically that he said that in the third day he'll rise again? Just again, another interesting side note. So let's do something about this because we're afraid that they're going to come and try to play tricks on us. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Again, during all the celebrations, you know, we're going to be busy, so we can't sit, you know, so, but you, you're not religious, so you can send one of your Roman guards to watch the whole time, okay? So let's have the guards sit, watch. In fact, we'll do even more. We'll put a proper official seal upon it. Anyone who breaks a seal is a goner. You break the seal, it's a Roman official seal, you're, you're doomed to die. And then and on top of that, we'll put another military trained, in fact, here they say one guard, but, the, but other accounts testify there are a couple guards at least. They're plural, okay? So these guys, by the way, their job was to make sure that no one broke that seal and got in. That's their job. In fact, and, and, and you know what it's like. Sometimes we go to work and we don't do our job very well. And then we kind of get told off. Well, they don't get told off when they do their job well. They die. Okay? So this guard had to make sure that that seal was not broken and no one entered into that tomb to steal a body. If they did, he would risk his life. Okay? So again, it's not just, you know, oh, I'm sleeping on my job. No, this is a life or death situation for this guard. So he wanted to make sure that no one's messing around. These are very important details, guys. So, otherwise, they say, his disciples may come, steal the body, and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. They don't want this to happen. Okay? And of course, in their belief, if this happened, the deception will just become worse and worse and worse. So, Pilate said, take a guard, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So, here we go. Whatever you'd want to do. Just do whatever it takes. If you're confident that this is going to happen, then you do everything that you think is necessary to seal that guard as well as possible. So let's just take this for granted. Jesus was guarded well. No one was getting in. Certainly not a couple Marys. Okay, no one's getting in. No one's getting in. The guard, it's, it's, it's guarded as strong and as securely as possible. So they went, made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard or guards. Next slide, please. Uh-oh. We have a problem here. 
And that's in the next chapter, the beautiful next chapter. Starting in verse 1 to 6, it says this. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went to the tomb, or went to go look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, yes, another earthquake, for an angel Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love the power of God. See, this angel could have appeared at any time, though, guys. You know that. He could have appeared and knocked Jesus off the cross and saved him. He could have knocked off, he could have killed all those guards in the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have wiped out the Sanhedrin. He could have wiped out Pilate and all of his armies. He could have done this at any time, but he waited. He waited. He waited. Because this, this angel, like any other military-minded you know, being, takes orders from a, from a higher source, from the chief. And the chief is God in this situation. And God hasn't said, it is time yet. But now is the time. I don't care about that Roman guard. I don't care about the Roman seal. Go knock it over. See, you see, God's not bothered by Rome. He's not bothered by the Sanhedrin. God's God. Okay? He's going to do what he wants to do. So the angel comes in. Boop. What? Oh, did I break your seal? Get over it. Okay? And of course, these guards, these mighty men of war, what do they do? Well, it goes on to say, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. So these mighty men of war, oh, oh, like, like, you know, you're supposed to play dead when you see a bear come in. I can see them with their spears on the ground going, you know, in fetal position. These mighty men of war before this real being of war, this angel of God. So the angel said to the woman, I, I love it. He's sitting there talking to these women. This mighty, fear, fearsome thing. Start speaking to these, again, these chosen witnesses of God, these women. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen. This is the cornerstone. This is the heart. This is the message of the gospel. This is why we're here today. This is why we live and breathe. It's because of this message here. He actually died. He actually buried. He actually Rose, they came to the grave that he was supposed to be in, and it was empty. Why are you looking for an alive, living Messiah God in a tomb that's meant for a dead body? He's not here. And we're going to continue the story from this point on when we get together next. But there's a couple other slides I want to look at briefly in the next five minutes, which answers the question, what does this all mean? Again, like I said, this is the heart of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1-11, it says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. This is the gospel, okay? This is the gospel that Paul preached that we should be preaching. Which you received, which we receive. I hope we receive this message. This is the gospel. And also we stand. This is where we remain. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. It's important to know what you believe and to believe in what you know, if that makes any sense. You have to hold tight to it. For what I received, I pass on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. Okay, he actually died. We saw that. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. It was prophesied. It was part of God's plan. Then he was buried. He was buried. It was a real event that he was raised on the third day, according to scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas or Capus or whatever, Capus, and then, and then to the twelve, the other disciples. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 other brothers and sisters at the same time. 
Most of them are still living, so you can go talk to them if you want to. But some have passed away. Then he appeared to James, then to the other apostles, and at last he also appeared to me as to one abnormally born. And then he goes on to talk about his testimony, how he rejected. And so if there's anyone who hated Jesus and hated this message of the gospel, it was Paul. But yet God radically interfered. So this is very important credence to the gospel. The eyewitnesses, the women's eyewitnesses, the fact that this is what we believe in, this is what Satan's going to attack, this is certainly what Sanhedrin tries to attack and tries to prevent from happening, but it is powerful. And it's changed so many lives. Still today, it's changing a lot of lives. This is, this is, this is the heart of the gospel. This is what we believe in, guys. So with that, we can say with Paul as we finish up this last verse. Together we can say this, because this is the reality. In the next slide, please. Death has been swallowed up by, in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The, the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Remember that curtain that got torn? That's where it hurts. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Be brave. Be bold. Stand on this foundation. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not meaningless. It's not worthless. Worthless. Everything you do for the Lord counts. Everything you do for the Lord matters. Be confident of that. Be secure in that. Be brave. Stand firm. Let's pray. of the